0: Hi, everyone, and thank you so much for joining us for this special live broadcast. It is Wednesday, May 10th, 2023, 1 p.m. Eastern Time. I'm Anthony Pastore. Will the U.S. default on its debt? It's never happened in the history of the United States, but with a lack of bipartisanship thus far and only a couple of weeks left, concerns about the debt ceiling have certainly spooked markets a bit. President Biden and Fed Chair Jay Powell have noted that they can do workarounds in worst-case scenarios, so maybe there's a little bit of a bright spot good news there. But on top of that, we had inflationary data today in the form of the Consumer Price Index, which declined again. So what is the Fed going to do, considering the debt ceiling and, of course, all of this economic data? And importantly, how do we think the markets will react moving forward? So with so much of this uncertainty surrounding All of these ongoing stories and questions coming from many of you and your advisors. We put together today's program to share our thoughts on the broader space and, of course, course, the market implications. So joining me for this conversation are John Savakoul, Leslie Falconio, and Brian Rose. It's really, really good to be with all of you. John, I want to start with you. You're sitting in Washington, D.C. as we speak. And as we know, President Biden met with congressional leaders yesterday afternoon to discuss the debt ceiling. The question everybody wants to know is, was there any progress made to extend the date and the debt ceiling
1: specifically? Uh, No, Anthony, there wasn't really any progress made in yesterday's meeting. Uh, Progress wasn't really expected in yesterday's meeting. It was just a first meeting uh, for the leaders to get together. Uh, There wasn't an expectation that there would be any kind of breakthrough. There's also a meeting this Friday. So in two days, they will meet again. Uh, Again, don't expect any resolution from that meeting. But what the meeting does do is it reminds Democrats and Republicans and President Biden that a compromise must be made. The reality is there aren't enough votes for Republicans to pass what they want in the Senate, and there aren't enough votes for Democrats to pass what they want in the House. So we're not going to have a clean extension. We're not going to have a bill that has... Uh, comprehensive deficit reduction, we're going to have something smaller. That's the compromise. It's pretty simple to understand. And, and lawmakers are just getting their arms around the need to come to that alternative position. For the time being, they're kind of stuck in their current negotiating positions. They think that 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 these views are more appealing to the public than the other views. So they're going to hold on to those positions. But at some point, and I think later this week, We will see quiet negotiations occur between Republicans and Democrats who are kind of sober to this fact of the need to compromise. So I do believe that um, while the meeting yesterday was not eventful in any real way, it does trigger a process of quiet diplomacy where the two sides will get together and talk about how to scale back from their positions and arrive at a point that they can both live with that will have the result of extending the debt ceiling.
0: Right. Maybe that's what President Biden uh, was indicating when he said he thought the talks were productive. Maybe he sees that there, as you said, the more quiet negotiations off camera and out of the earshot of the press will maybe lead to something. So w- w- that's the question then, John, is w- what kind of deal do you expect will be made, if any? I mean, the, the deadline is approaching. We've got June 1st. So it, it's two weeks away.
1: Yeah, well, June 1 is, is uh, could be considered and and is indeed considered a soft deadline uh, by some lawmakers. There is an expectation that a more precise X date will be announced in the very near future. So that date of June 1 could be extended out by a few weeks or maybe into July. That's, that's kind of up in the air right now. But there is an expectation that June 1 will not be the final X date. Uh, Congress may have a little more time than the two weeks that you reference a final deal, you know broadly has to include um, some spending cuts, some some, some deficit reduction. Uh, the low-hanging fruit is the unused COVID funds. There are 400, uh, There's four hundred billion dollars of unused COVID funds that were approved two years ago, that haven't been used. Now some of that has been obligated in the sense that it's been promised to certain people. Uh, But you could scale back a portion of that, maybe half of that, maybe all of it, maybe uh, a portion of that. That would be an easy deficit reduction move. Republicans have called for that. President Biden indicated some interest in that yesterday. That would not total what Republicans are looking for in deficit reduction. So maybe we then would move to a limit on federal spending for next year. Uh, The federal budget has grown by almost 10%. Uh, it has seen increases in, t- in, in spending in 10%, uh, by 10% over the last few years. Maybe you scale that back to 3%. Uh, in the Republican bill, they proposed a 1% increase over 10 years. That's not realistic. Democrats aren't going to accept that, but maybe they would accept a 3% increase or a 4% increase. That would incur some pain on, on the Democrats' agenda. Uh, and It would also help Republicans who, again, are looking for something more toward one percent, but they might take three or four percent. Those two provisions uh, could be what is in a final deal. I'm, 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 thinking that they could that they could be a final deal. Uh, Republicans may want more, Democrats may want less, but I think those are two fair provisions that could be the heart of any deal moving forward.
0: Great, thank you, John. Leslie, let me bring you in here. You and I sit here often and talk about what's happening in the fixed income markets, specifically looking at treasuries. And we know that the yield curve has been inverted for the better part of a year. Sticking with the debt ceiling conversation, if the U.S. does default, what kind of impact would that potentially have on, on the yield curve?
2: Right. Well, I mean, to your point, the yield curve has been inverted for you know a year, but there's been parts of the yield curve that have started to re-steepen mm-hmm. and some that have not. And the ones that haven't are, is, is the difference between, say, a three-month T-bill and a 10-year Treasury. That's, that has stayed very inverted. Now, if, in fact, to your point, if we do default, more than likely, um, it will invert by more. And we think it'd be more of a 2011 scenario where you have the 10-year yield coming down fairly aggressively, although there are other variables at that point in time in 2011. In today's market, there's a lot of other uh, variables happening as well, such as the Fed just hiked 10 consecutive times. We have financial instability. So if, in fact, a default should happen, that kind of impact on inflation and growth would really bring the long end of the yield curve down. Now, obviously, it all depends on how long this would last. If, hypothetically, it would last for a long period of time, then one would expect that the Fed would react. And it, I wouldn't be surprised, if they had to, that they bring that Fed funds rate all the way back down to the zero lower bound, and then the yield curve was steepened. But initially, you're going to invert more.
0: Mm-hmm. That, that's really a follow-up question for Brian Rose, our economist. Is that something that you could potentially see happening if that was the case, Brian?
3: Yeah, so uh, you know, I think as Janet Yellen uh, has, has been saying, you know, there's no choice but to raise the debt ceiling. Uh, I think we, yeah, we don't want to find out what the consequences of that's not right. raising the debt ceiling are. And you can talk about all these different workarounds. But in the end, that there, there is no choice I found it somewhat reassuring that we had Mitch McConnell yesterday saying that we we will not default just staying out, right? We will will not let that happen. So, um, yeah, personally, I'm I'm more concerned about the impact all of these conversations will have on the economy. So, you know, headline, pretty much every newspaper, front page news talking about uh, the possibility of default and what a disaster it will be And This could discourage people from from spending money and, Mm -hmm. and end up hurting the economy.
0: Right, which, of course, this is something that uh, we'll talk about in a minute, but obviously something that the Fed is paying close attention to as well, besides the economic data, which we're going to talk about here in a moment as well. But, John, uh, before we go into uh, CPI and the inflationary data, um, just in your opinion, how likely is a debt ceiling default? And is there anything different this time versus past situations where we've come close to defaulting but haven't quite thankfully made it over the line?
1: Well, the percentages of a default um, It's is not zero. Uh, I, I, I think there's a chance that, that that it could happen, but it's a very, very low chance. Uh, the reality is, is that most lawmakers, like Brian just mentioned, uh, Senator Mitch McConnell, recognize that a default will be catastrophic. And I think you'll see a solution, but it's going to be very dramatic and very painful process to get there. So it's. Um, I don't think default is, is really a serious option. There are probably a few members of Congress who don't believe a default would be as catastrophic as economists say, or maybe they are so attached to their deficit reduction goals that they think that that is equally or more important than, than, um, than avoiding a default at any cost. But those people are in the minority. And, and, and I think we will see an agreement come about that will avoid a default. I feel strongly about that. I've seen about 40 uh, debt ceiling extensions throughout my career and and uh, maybe it's blind faith in the process, but Congress always seems to come together at the last minute and get something done. The challenge is uh, hopefully they'll do it in a way that uh, won't result in any kind of market impacts that uh, none of us want.
0: And as you were saying uh, earlier there, John, you said that there are maybe some possible negotiation tax that each party has to hopefully arrive at an agreement so we can get this done. Thank you, John. Uh, sure. Brian, let me ask you. So let's let's dip a little bit into the consumer price index. For, and for those of viewers, it's it's a, a, a key inflation indicator. Um, it was four point nine percent cooled again. It was a, the, it's the lowest in about two years. I think it's the 10th decline in a row. Um, How did that compare with expectations, and specifically your expectations for today's number? And what really stood out to you in the report? Because that's the main headline number. There's a lot of components that go into making that CPI 4.9% number happen.
3: Yeah, so overall, pretty close to expectations. But what's interesting is when you talk about inflation, you're normally talking about broad-based changes in prices. But that's not what you actually see. If you go into the details... It, everything depends on the individual product or service. So for example, food prices have risen very sharply, but last two months they're flat. Mm-hmm. And on the other hand, used car prices, those went shooting up at the start of the pandemic, then recently they've been falling, but in April they rebounded 4.4%. It's one of the reasons why headline inflation picked up is because there's this big jump in, in used cars. So you know, everything depends uh, on the individual supply demand dynamics and so you know it's hard to sort of grasp these uh, broad macro trends that are that are normally uh, driving inflation and i would say though the one trend that that does seem to be in place is that the shelter which is the biggest component of CPI that is starting to moderate so after the very very rapid rent increases that we had earlier It's starting to cool off, and this is helping to bring down the overall inflation rate.
0: Right. And energy prices also are a big component of CPI, and they were up a little bit.
3: Yeah, so this is another one of those things, you know, it's down one month, up the next. That's right. And um, I would say this is one of the upside risks to inflation is that oil prices could rebound. So, you know, we think that it's likely that oil prices won't stay at this uh, lower level, and, yeah, if oil prices go back to, you know, ninety, hundred dollars 100 this, this is going to hurt the overall inflation outlook.
0: Yeah, and we saw when the Fed decided to raise rates again last week, and Powell mentioned fear of a mild recession in his statement. Obviously, energy prices went down on fears of a slowing economy. So it all plays into the, the bigger picture here. Leslie, on the, on, the, on the rate side today, obviously, the 10-year is very sensitive to everything that comes out that could affect where the Fed is headed. How did the 10-year react today to the CPI print?
2: Yeah, I mean, initially, right after the print, the 10-year went down about five, six basis points. But I think to Brian's point, I mean, you know, it's a good trend, but I think the market is just relieved that it didn't go up, right. you, know, there, right. you know. Given the fact that we've had so many um, actual numbers that have been higher than consensus, there's always this concern when the CPI comes out that it's actually be projected higher. So although it was it was a, it was a decent number, it's on trend, but we're still a long way away from you know their target. And I think the initial relief, it was really more of a relief rally than anything else. I mean, I think the market right now, you know, as we know, and I think when you think about what they're pricing in for a June, Probability of another 25 basis points is zero, right? Mm-hmm. And that might be a little bit too low. We're getting we're, listen, we're getting close to the end of the cycle, but to have to expect nothing, I think, might be a little bit too premature.
0: Yeah, well, that's a really good question for Brian. I, I, it, what do you think? It, does the does this number today? Obviously, there's more economic data that the Fed is watching. They've got other inflationary data. They've got the jobs data in this tight market, tight labor market. Is this number enough to you think the Fed might actually pause from here and? Keep them at a certain level for the. What are your thoughts on where the Fed thinks about the number today?
3: Yeah, so if you had asked me a year ago, all right, the inflation's going to be near 5% and the unemployment rate at a 50 year low, <laughs> is the Fed going to choose that moment to pause? I would have said, no, Not absolutely. At all, right? Yeah, <laughs> no way. No way the Fed could, <laughs> could possibly consider pausing with these kinds of numbers. Uh, but the, it does seem you know, likely that, that the rate hiking cycle is uh, over and, and they will pause. And one of the most important reasons why is because the Fed has ended up raising rates more than you know, they or you know, the market was expecting, right? So rates are above 5%. And the Fed's longer run neutral estimate is only two and a half. So the thinking is, well, you know, two and a half is kind of a normal Fed funds rate and we're above five. So if we just leave it there, eventually those high rates will weigh on the economy and will help to bring Inflation down, mm-hmm. so that's the the thinking that could allow the Fed t- to pause. Is that we've done enough? We don't need inflation to be at two percent tomorrow, but a couple of years from now, we really want it to be down near the target. And you know, maybe this is a level of interest rates that, that will accomplish. And it that. seems
0: unlikely that we're going to hit that two percent inflation target anytime soon. I mean, especially where we are right now.
3: Yeah, we won't hit it soon. But again, the Fed uh, the Fed isn't so concerned about you know next month's inflation print, but they want to make sure is. You know, inflation eventually comes towards the target. They don't want to get stuck with inflation mm-hmm. at at 4 or 5% because then you need a repeat of the 80s and extremely high interest rates to, to break the back of inflation. That That is something they, they'd really like to avoid.
0: You think the market's already priced in this CPI print today? Because the, the Dow is down two-tenths of a percent, as the S&P's up two-tenths of a percent or is there maybe just some concern about this recession that's coming? Uh, Leslie, what uh, what are you seeing when you look at the tea leaves, especially when you look at the way rates are reacting?
2: Well, I think, I mean, I think to to Brian's point, you know, what the market is not viewing is higher for longer, okay? It's not, what the market is pricing in is 70 basis points of easing in the second half of the year. Mm -hmm. Right? Of this year. Of this year, right, of 2023. So they don't believe in the higher for longer sort of mantra. And And I think that what they're pricing in there is a bit, from what we know right now, is a bit too dovish. Mm-hmm. Whether or not they go 25, another 25 in June, really is not going to make that big of a difference because they are near the end. The question is, when you go from a pause to a pivot, and I think the market is just pricing in that pivot a little bit too soon.
0: Right. Interestingly, yeah, I mean, that, that's what we have to kind of wonder is what you try to get into the mind of, Powell. And as you said, Brian, you know, historically, if you look at what happened in the past, and if you saw that number today a year ago, it would be a very different story, but it's different; it's, it's certainly where we are now. And we, the Fed wants to see inflation go down, but also they may want to see a, a little bit of a mild recession as well. Could that, that could sort of balance things out a little bit for the economy.
3: Yeah. If you look at the Fed's own projections, they are really pessimistic. I mean, they're looking for roughly zero growth for the rest of the year, and the unemployment rate coming up to 4.6%, so more than a percentage point increase. That's never happened outside of a recession. So, I mean, it should be clear, the Fed is prepared to see a recession if that's what it takes to get inflation down. And and things have actually, yeah, I mean, the economy's been stronger than they expected, and inflation is still running, uh, you know, higher Mm -hmm. higher than their expectations. uh, you know, you you also have to consider the stress in the banking system, and this is another factor that makes it easier for them to pause. It's, it's a sense that, well, instead of raising interest rates, we're getting tighter credit conditions through the banking system stress. So you know, we we had out this week, the uh, bank lending standards are are continue to be tightened. So in some sense, that's doing part of the job for the Fed. It's one of the things that says, all right, you know, we under these circumstances, it's probably enough because uh, the outlook isn't so great uh, anyway. Mm
0: -hmm. And we're coming off of a pretty strong first quarter earnings season for S&P 500. It it seems like the Fed might even want to wait another quarter or two to see how earnings sort of flesh out moving forward to see the true sense of where the economy is.
3: You know, this is interesting. This is another one of the determinants of inflation is is corporate behavior. Mm -hmm. And it's one of the questions the Fed has to ask is, you know, have we done enough to discourage companies from continuing to raise prices? Or you know, do we really need to push the economy into recession to finally get companies to stop uh, to stop raising prices? And you know, we've had lots of examples where you know it's not just you know wage growth or or you know the commodity prices. It's companies deciding, you know, we think we can get away with raising prices because we see strong demand, so we're going to do it. We're just going to keep pushing uh, prices up and. This is you know, part of the Fed's uh, equation. And one of the reasons why they're, they're in very close contact with businesses across the country, asking them, you know, what are you seeing? Are you planning to keep raising prices or not? And I think there has been some encouraging news there where companies are saying, yeah, you know, we think uh, you know, the, the days of the fastest price increases are over. We're, we, mm-hmm. we're getting more pushback. We don't think we can keep raising prices like this. And on the other side, they're not facing as severe labor shortage as they were. And there isn't as much pressure to keep raising wages either. Mm -hmm,
0: Right. Exactly. That's another thing. I mean, especially with the tight labor market. I mean, and you go to the grocery store, prices are still inflated in most cities. You know, eggs are very expensive. Even a Standard jar of mayonnaise is uh, is more expensive than I ever want. I'm ready to go to you know to figure out how to make my own at this point. Um, but you know we'll obviously have to keep an eye on that. And as you said, the Fed is talking to these corporations about how they're passing their pricing on. Leslie, on the on the other side of that, on the what's the corporate bond environment right uh, like right now? And even digging a little further deep, more deeply here for fixed income investors. Where do you see? I mean, we're still looking at high quality bonds, even a little bit of high yield.
2: Well, no, mostly high quality, like investment grade kind of corporates. But one thing that that we are doing is that we are starting to extend out that interest rate risk and we are sort of locking in for longer. And and one of the things why this is so important is that, again, the Fed is either has paused or will pause very shortly. So given the fact the fixed income market is very forward looking, it will start to really start pricing in these eases and the short end yields start to come down. but We also believe 10 year yields will start to come down, right? Just as growth slows in the second half of the year. So the more than likely that yield curve will, is will do what we call a steepen, meaning the short end yields will go come down by more than 10 year yields, but do you still want that long end to have that total return potential. Mm -hmm. So now is really a good time to start actually, and it should have been continuously a time to to lock in. It doesn't mean that you just do it blindly. You opportunistically start to add in this interest rate risk similar to what we've done in terms of that total return. And also because these yields that we're seeing today, um, you're probably not going to see them for quite some time because it is our expectations that the treasury yields come down. You are going to face some reinvestment risk if you're only in the short end. So you really want to have that combination of both.
0: So locking in at this point where rates sit today is a recommendation for many investors at this point. Right. Okay, great. Um, John, if uh, if you're still with us, before we wrap up and uh, do my last round of questions, just really quickly, any any final thoughts back to the debt ceiling um, that you're maybe speaking about with some of your financial advisors that you connect with and their clients? What should we be looking out for over the next couple of weeks?
1: Well, we should certainly expect the quiet conversations to begin. Um, There are already a lot of ideas floating around by rank and file Democrats or rank and file Republicans who are trying to play a role in finding the right solution. So that has to extend to the leaders. Uh, Those quiet conversations should start in the next couple of days. Um, We may see a new X date, uh, which hopefully will give Congress a little more time to do their work. Um, I think those are the two big things to look for um, in the next week or so and I I suspect that they'll happen and that um, things will start heading in a better direction although times will be tense over the next couple of weeks there's I mean let's face it there's a lot of partisan division about how to achieve deficit reduction and uh, that's a battle that both parties have fought over uh, for years many years so it, it, it has to come to a head in some way uh, in this upcoming negotiation,
0: great, John. Thank you so much, um, and I'll do the same with Leslie and with Brian. Leslie, uh, let me let me pivot to you for a final thought. With today's CPI print, the debt ceiling, uh, still concerns over uh, many of those regional banks, and watching Treasuries, you know, trade the way and move the way that they do. What's a final thought for our viewers today on where they should be thinking about? when they're looking at their portfolio when they're talking to their advisors or for our advisors tuning in what should they be thinking about
2: Well I mean there's no question you know what we saw in 2022 push yields to you know well above their 10 year average mm-hmm. and that's not going to go away so you do want to lock in the, you know those higher yields and you're going to expect some volatility which we're going to see and some of those higher quality sectors might be subject to this volatility but for a short term either way you know we've seen yields we have yields right now that we haven't seen and so to to, to take in the lock in now is six, seven months from now is going to look like a very high level compared to where we're going. (laughs) That's right. Especially in 2024.
0: Great. Thank you, Leslie. Brian, also, final takeaway for you, obviously, given what we saw today with CPI and what we're expecting over the next couple of weeks as far as data is concerned. Any takeaways? So I think,
3: you know, one point to keep in mind is that inflation is still, you know, still high and very hard to see it coming down unless economic growth is weak. Uh, so you need to, you know, there's a basic economic theory that if the economy is growing slower than its potential or slower than trend, this helps to bring inflation down. And this is what the Fed has been aiming at all along, is that, you know, we need subtrend growth for a sustained period to get inflation down. So that's where there's no, you know, really good uh, outcome here. You know, if, if the economy does well, inflation will tend to stay too high and f- maybe force the Fed to raise rates uh, more. So really best case scenario is probably one in which the economy avoids a recession, but even there it's going to be sluggish growth, you know,
0: subtrend growth to in order to help bring inflation down. Great, Brian. Thank you very much. Many more conversations to come with this team of my great colleagues and many others uh, from the CIO and the Office of Public Policy. Thank you to John Savarkool, Leslie Falcone, O'Brien Rose. Great to be with all of you today. Thank you so much. And unfortunately for you, our audience, we are out of time, but we really want to thank you for spending a little bit of time with us today. We will continue, of course, to keep you updated on these situations and all the other market-moving situations that we are consistently discussing here through our House View Publications, our CIO alerts, our blogs, our videos, our podcasts, and, and more. And as always, we encourage you to continue this conversation with your UBS financial advisor. From New York City, I'm Anthony Pastore. Thank you so much for joining us today, everybody. Have a great rest of your day. We'll see you soon.